check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome to Red Storm Chasers. I'm Vincent here with Craig, Tim, and Nick. On this episode, we've got another special sit-down for you. But before we get into that, guys, another random question to start off our show. What is your favorite sports venue that you've been to any sport single venue all right what do we got Time's up. i have two all right. Uh, Breaking the rules right out of the bat. Uh, already, already violating the rules, okay? <laughs> Who cares the rules? Uh, I mean, some people care about the rules, but Tim, what do you got? NCAA doesn't, so why try? They actually got strict rules. What, do you, what, what, are, your, what are the venues, <laughs> no, they, Tim? They, what, they don't what, care about their own rules. What <laughs> venues would you so do? It's, uh, it's actually one is based off of an experience, and one is just my favorite all time, like being there. Okay. Uh. My favorite experience at a, at a location was actually uh, over watching uh, Navy play. Okay, we went down to Annapolis. Yep, went uh, to Annapolis. Uh, every year, we the, we, the four of us uh, and a group of friends, we go out on a football trip to a college football game. One year, it was Houston at Navy. The year Houston was, was ranked fifth, fourth, fifth, or, yeah, fourth or fifth five, fourth, in yeah. the country, and Navy upset them. And we were in front row. We were right next to the can, which we were somehow not deaf at the end. We still have permanent hearing loss. but that's And we got to storm the field. We were one of the very first after this one guy ran on the field, looked back at us, put his hands in the air, and ran on. We, we, we had looked. respect. We, we waited for the midshipman to storm. Yeah. And then we said, okay, if one other regular person storms after the midshipman, We'll go. And then one guy went, and then we all went. And then the whole stadium went, not just us. Yeah. Speaking of the midshipman, one of my friends was a midshipman at the time, and we randomly saw him on the field after we stormed oh, yeah, the yeah. field, which was awesome. It was a wild game. It also was pouring, by the way. Oh, it was pouring rain. Pouring, pouring rain. Wet through your clothes. It was awful. Yeah, that was tough. It was tough getting back up because our pants were so yeah. wet <laughs> that you couldn't lift your legs up high enough <laughs> to get back up. A lot of upper body strength at that point. But... uh but that's not your favorite venue. That's your favorite nah. moment. That's your favorite experience. Understandably, it was a great time. Yeah. What's your favorite venue? My favorite venue is WVU, uh, Milan Pusker Stadium. Football stadium. Very yeah. nice. Good, cool stadium, for sure. Parts I can remember. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Parts I can remember. Not, not a lot of them. I've never been there. But uh, <laughs> we, we, we've been there. Yep. I got the ticket stub to prove it. Black, not sure I can uh, tell you what it looks like. Black lot, right? That was where we parked with the yeah, RV. God yeah. bless. Yeah. Uh, and I know it was the ba- I know it was the basketball stadium parking lot. I can tell yeah. you that. Yep, we were right by the uh, the eggshell. I can tell you that was the day that me and Vince thought we were gonna die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were in the RV, and uh, unfortunately, we had broken the top vent open while we were driving by mistake. Uh, it's past statute of limitations, so that <laughs> yeah. Cruise America can't come get us now. That went out of business anyway. That one, that one we rented it from. That's so true. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, good point. Uh, it, it, we got stuck open, and then it was right over the bed that me and Craig happened to be sharing, and uh, in was, the in the parking lot of the basketball stadium, there are no RV hookups. Just in case you're wondering, you can't plug your RV in. So for you RV lovers, when out there. you're when you run out of gas in the in the back part of the the van. Or in the RV, I should say. All you have to do is turn on the RV and let know, it charge, and let it charge, and it'll come back. However, uh, if you fall asleep with it on, someone has to wake up in order to do that. Well, we fell asleep, <laughs> and being that the vent directly above me and Craig were open, and as, it was the coldest day of it the year. It was negative two degrees outside. And we woke being up too drunk to yes do anything. We woke up in two degree weather, freezing, uh, with. You know, all he needed to do was take 15 steps and get to the front. Tim and our other friend were sleeping in the front part. Nice and warm. Nice and warm. <laughs> Toasty warm. Didn't wake no, up. No clue. Not a kid. Didn't in the wake world. up. Didn't turn on the van, the RV. So we just froze in the back and, and threw on some extra blankets and hoped that we were awake in the morning, which we were. Vincent looked at me. We both woke up shivering, and he looked at me, and I was like, "We gotta go turn the thing on." And he's like, "I'm not gonna go up." And then I said, "He said." 
I guess we'll just die here. That was the thought. <laughs> that was it. it. We're gonna. This is where we make I our final stand. I was too drunk and too cold to move. And that is why when you're driving an RV, you do not go and try to push open. Correct. The latch. Correct. When when the car when the RV is in motion, don't try to open the flaps. It's not an airplane. You don't need them to slow down. But it is safe to keep driving and switch uh, drivers. That's right. We, that is, that, is, that is true. Hey, listen, that's what cruise control is for. That, hey, RV living. That's a RV living, absolutely. 100% success rate, so. That's right. Nick, what's your favorite venue? Um can I can I uh can I defer to Craig first? I still need a little sure. time to think. Sure. M- uh my favorite venue and it's it's kind it's, it's a boring one. It's City Field. I, I mean, I love City Field. I go there a lot. I have a Mets ticket package. I just love that venue. Baseball it is a great um, stadium. It, you know, it, for me, it, it's a beautiful stadium. They got a million amenities, which is great. But the just the the, the stadium in general is just beautiful. What's better, Coke Corner or Pepsi Porch? Always Coke Corner. It's never Pepsi Porch. That's that's oh. correct. That's the only correct answer there is. Always uh, Coke, no uh, Pepsi. All right, this Nick, is, your time has run out. Keith loves it. All right, I'm gonna say three quick honorable mentions. One, because we talked about this. Hinkle Fieldhouse. Can we talk about how I'm the only one who follows Craig, the rules? only one who follows Again, the you're rules. the only one. They're, not everybody follows the rules. Jeez. Um, one, uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse, we talked about it tons of times on the podcast, so I'm not going to talk about it again. Uh, MSG, because it's MSG. It's amazing. Uh, and Staples Center. I play, I was a manager there when we played... Uh, no longer in uh, Staples uh, Center. It's not. The oh, crypto. the Crypto.com. Crypto. Yeah, right. The Crypto.com <laughs> Arena Center, whatever well, Until they can't pay um, anymore. <laughs> and now those are my Tomorrow. honorable mentions, and I'm gonna have two actual choices. Jesus. Wow! Not, uh, so not only did right, Tim broke the rule, with, we created an experience. Nick's answer. going top five. Nick here. was like, "I'm right, gonna give right, you a hear top me five. Out, hear me out. Hear me out. One of them. All right. So one of them. We already heard you on three. Right. Let's go with the next two. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna go with in, in, in no particular order. Wrigley Field, Chicago Cubs, uh, second oldest stadium in in the, the country. I mean, yeah, and for baseball wise, uh, just it's amazing going there, old style. Um, to end, to go all the way back, I've been to the Coliseum in Italy. That's amazing, being in the Coliseum in Italy. It is a stadium. Is My a man. Stadium. And think about it. No, no. They flooded it out for naval battles. And then, like, a week later, they would have regular chariot races, or they would have It's a very wild card. This choice. man gives five answers, and one of them is, the top one is the Coliseum <laughs> in Rome. That, the, it was an amazing stadium. I, it, in Roman times. I, I mean, in Roman times, <laughs> yeah. sure. I, I I was going for a more modern answer. You took it to the extreme, but you know what? It was a solid answer. Yeah, the Coliseum was cool. He had five cool. of them, so he, he was able to throw one in like that. At least, they, at least <laughs> we know Nick's genre. We got, you know, everything from oh, Hinkle Fieldhouse <laughs> to Wrigley. Let's see if we can guess Vincent. To the Coliseum. Oh, a fun, a fun guest, Vincent, again. It went real well last time. So We did such well, a great see. job. We're going to try again. I, hey, I, I got the Huskies right. You did, after some help, but yes. I, the original Yankee Stadium. Tim, no, no, no doubt in Tim's mind, and he hits the nail on the head. What a guy! Second, if, if I had to pick a second, because the the first the Yankee, old Yankee Stadium is number one. It should be. Uh, it was a spectacular stadium. Should have kept it. No reason to get rid of it. Number two uh, is more of a personal, just just you know personal. I, I've been to the Blue Turf in Idaho. Boys, uh, on the Blue Turf, yeah. not for a game, but just on the Blue Turf, and it it is it is a sight. Uh, it is spectacular, but you wept openly. I, 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 I was unfortunately with a, a person for work purposes, and I waited until he left left me alone to weep openly. <laughs> it's not just to embarrass my company, um, but <laughs> uh, besides the New York, the the old Yankee Stadium, uh, one of another stadium, I had to say it is it is extremely cool. It is kind of a rare get to, but is the pit in New Mexico? It is, uh, it's an old stadium. They built it into literally into a hill or into a valley uh and because of that you have to, everybody with the exception of the they, they've now added luxury boxes but they didn't used to have them there's there's luxury boxes that go around the top however everybody else has to walk down to their seat so you walk in and you're at the top so if you're in row 45 or if you're in row one it doesn't matter you have to walk all the way down from the top which is it's, it's a really cool atmosphere and you know new mexico basketball hasn't been good in a while but it, it does make for a really cool, cool arena. With, with you saying that, I forgot the really, really cool moment of going to watch the Jayhawks 
and you have to go on to the court to get to your seats. I was. It's funny because now that you yeah. all now that Frog Island is cool. Yeah. Now that literally all of you broke the rules, I was going to add two more because why not? I didn't break the rules. Tim you, had. You, Tim you gave three, but sure. No, Tim hit my number one on the head. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, oh, you want me to just say, "Yep, no problem. Let's move along on to yeah. the next thing." Right. I mean, this guy <laughs> gave five answers into the Coliseum, I'm for not, God's sake. I'm not mad at that. I get to say a few things. I, I didn't break the rules. Think about the I'm not, I'm not, not, like, Vincent did not break the rules. I, I, I got whirl on one try with Vincent oh. here. I just I just don't want to be accused of breaking the rules when I, in fact, did not break the rules. I was going to bring up Fog Island Fieldhouse because it is a spectacular venue, and it, it's, a, it's an amazing place to watch a game. The other one I want to bring up with another baseball context is Pittsburgh Pirates Stadium. Just that is a beautiful stadium. If frames the city perfectly it just honestly it, it's a great ballpark how um, could how could they afford such a nice stadium if they're such a small market team and they can't afford anything else we're gonna hundred million dollars a year do for you yeah you all yeah, you all broke the rules i'm gonna break the rules too <laughs> pittsburgh pirates stadium salty <laughs> salty yeah, come on actually you know what if we're on the topic of stadiums At i'm least... gonna go with ford's park <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's, with, a, that's with, a it's a field. It's a good old local field here in with town. Double rooms. Why don't you go to Roosevelt? Oh, oh come on! Oh, I was talking about the baseball stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Talking about baseball. If yeah. we're talking about basketball, I'm talking Wrigley Park. Wrigley, yeah, Wrigley. Wrigley, yeah, Wrigley. Wrigley? No, you mean Quigley? Quigley. There Quigley. we go, Quigley. You're damn, you damn close there. Nick really loves that loves was, that basketball court so much he can't even remember the name. Qu- Quigley Park, where you gotta scrape off the glass. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. Uh, anyway. Well, now we have a special guest, an NBA champion. This man coached guest. for 42 years. He has coached for 42 years. I'm former Still going strong. Former interim St. John's head coach, current Bucks assistant coach, Mike Dunlap. Hey, coach. How's it going? Good to have you on. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Love the Red Storm, and, and my time there in the two years was a lot of fun. All right, so let, let's – start a little bit with your for your start at St. John's and then we'll, we'll go in, a little into your backstory and, and bounce around a bit but what was it like when you got the offer from St. John's and uh, you know you knew you were going to be coaching with Coach Lavin? I was at the final four when I got the call and um, obviously Steve has got charisma plus and so when Coach Lab called it didn't take long. We put the phone down and my wife and I said, you know, I'm a West Coast guy and I get an opportunity to go across the Mississippi and be in the Big East. And we've always been uh, adventures. We, we did pro ball in Australia for three years in the NBL. And so it wasn't a hard call to curiosity wise and being a part of the Big East is pretty special. And then you add uh, the element of St. John's and the tradition of of that and the challenge of getting it up and running again was something special so it was a great opportunity so how did you adjust to the east coast oh i think when you're in the gym and it's a 94 by 50 you know what you're doing and then you know you sample the city and i'd been to new york before so and most coaches are driven and and so their schedules are pretty tight but the adjustment wasn't bad other than the fact that um, I, we had a son who was ha, had a chance to graduate in Eugene because we were at the University of Oregon mm-hmm. before that. And so uh, I was without the family and that wasn't a pleasant experience, but it, you know, it's doable in New York and the, the electricity of it in the garden and all of that is, is really a, a, a great opportunity and a lot of fun. So I looked at it as something to explore and learn about the East Coast and, and the Big East. And mostly my time was spent in a, on film or uh, working with guys, you know, that, that needed time on their shot, whether it was Sean Evans or, it, you know, it could have been anybody. But, you know, I was there to, to serve at the pleasure of, of Coach Lavin and, and see if we could get the program going and for fortunately we kind of caught fire and did that in a quick fashion. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, you made the tournament your first year. What was that experience like? Well, you're just kind of trying to make an imprint and, and survive and learn and, 
all of that. And the next thing you know, you wake up and, and you've got a chance. And through February, we might have been one of the best teams in America, if not the best team. We were wickedly hot. We had taken, you know, just, you know, really done a great job, for example, against Duke and, and you know, kind of just shredded them at the garden. And I think it was the first time people were believers. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Pitt comes in and they were ranked inside the 10. And, you know, I came down to a last bucket with the clock winding down. And, and I just think it solidified um, something for New York because basketball was struggling a little bit. The Knicks were struggling. And so St. John's moves to the four for the city. And all of a sudden, you know, it was kind of a Cinderella story. So, I mean, every day was fun and you learn something new. And we were kind of gaining momentum with the media. And, right. you know, the, the cynicism left and all of a sudden it was like, hey, uh, they, have a, they have a special team. And also is the guy who deserves credit for leaving really good players. And I've always said this is Norm Roberts did a very, very good job of, of setting the table. Uh, and I think we were fortunate to come in with a season team that uh, we, you know, coach Lavin put a little bit different touch on it in terms of style. And I think, they were ready to go as well. And that, a credit to coach Roberts as well. Yeah. He, he really, he did a nice job of, of, you know, of coming in at a really tough time. And I think he left it in a good spot and you guys really took advantage of it. I mean, from that Duke win to the end of the regular season, St. John's only lost two games and in that exactly. stretch beat UConn Pitt, Villanova all ranked at the time. Uh, and yes. like you said, we're just incredibly hot. So, and that, and that pit game was honestly one of like the, one of the most one of the most memorable moments in the last probably twenty years at, at St. John's. Um, yes, it really yeah, was. Yeah, and they were very good. And Jamie Dixon was there, and it, it, you know, at the height of what he was doing there, and and so there was just no soft spot on either team, and and it captivated uh, uh, the Garden and the crowd that you get there from the ushers on, and the tradition and the lighting. And the people that come to those games are basketball savvy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, also you had a bunch of thirsty followers in St. John's of people from the boosters to the students. Um, the, the players captivated the imagination of, of not only St. John's and the following, but the city and the media. And the media, you know, probably – uh, can be tough, but they're fair. And when they see a team that works together and hard and are, 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 are well coached and the players like each other, then they're, they're going to, you know, playing hard sells in New York, it, it, you know, Absolutely. win, lose. But if, if you're a scrappy team, you go to the floor first, it, it, they're going to, they're going to give you your due. You know, if you don't play hard and you're talented, they'll eat you alive. For sure. And, and New York really is a basketball city as much as, you know, it's, it's got the Yankees and the Mets. Uh, when when basketball is good in New York, it, it's the predominant sport. And I think you guys captivated that a lot in your first year. So what was your favorite St. John's moment? Um, I, I, you know, my favorite moment was and, and I'm a little twisted, but we lost to Fordham and we were up 18 and it, it was, a, there was 11 minutes to go and we had control of the game and we just started, you know, smelling ourselves and thinking we didn't have stink on us. And, and the bottom line is, is that we lost that game and that changed the season for us. I think that the guys kind of uh, were more coachable after that. Sometimes it can happen. And it's a tribute again to Rico Hines, Tony Childs, uh, Coach Lav, and those guys, I thought, did a great job of, you know, putting their head down, keeping the faith in the guys. And then from that point on, uh, we took off. And that was a pivotal moment. And I'm more inclined uh, in my style of, of helping, coaching, being an assistant, being a head coach of, 
of a lunch pail kind of mindset. So, and that team had that and we, they just needed some guidance and some confidence. And after the Fordham loss, they were just more coachable and that can happen. And it did happen. And I think coach lab did a great job of, uh, of bringing us through the eye of the needle because she's a very confident human being. So, so which player do you think worked the hardest while you were there? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> that would, that would be a tough one. Uh, and then it, you, you always get coaches that duck a question like that. Cause they, 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 you know, they don't want to hurt feelings, oh, understandable. Um, you know, uh, but, but, I I would say that it, it maybe DJ Kennedy would would, would be there um, because he was the most cynical of the staff coming in, and he became a believer. But he was an unbelievable worker. He had a toolbox of diversity, and he could do a lot of things. I don't think anything he did incredibly well at an elite level. Um, except for rebounding and he was an elite rebounder when the game mattered most and and no one you know would really say well great coach that's like over there to the left that's boring <laughs> but um he won games when i there were a multitude of games that were in the throws and he literally was uh, a quiet leader so i'd have to get, give a nod to to dj yeah, and, and also speaking of DJ, that obviously was a, a big factor at the end of that season in the Big East tournament when he got hurt against Syracuse was changed the complexion of the way. That, I mean, we were going to be a high, pretty high seed. I think that definitely hurt our seeding and our matchup and all that stuff. Um, Every, everything. And it changed yeah. the whole complexion. I mean, that because that team was that team was special. And it was just it, yeah. a bad break. You know, I mean, just it, really unlucky and. And it happens in the playoffs, and it's like we we didn't have Middleton. We go seven uh, games against the Celtics, but facts are facts. When you have an All Star that's sitting there uh, with a baseball cap on and 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 doing his best cheerleading, it, it it you know the game is cruel, and you need all your your guys when you're going to try and win the ring. And the year before we had that. Well, when you lose someone that's like DJ. Um, it's definitely going to be a difference maker. Yeah, you know, no coach goes in and is going to, you know, start talking about the injury, but you've pointed to it, and it was it was pivotal for us not going, making a deep run in the NC2As and, and winning the, that tournament because we had Mojo yeah. and we were going. And, um, you know, it just impacted. And sometimes teams can get through that a little bit, you know, but you're not going to go to the four unless you have everybody – it doesn't mean you're not going to be banged up, but you need them to suit up for that game or right, you, yeah. you just, you just don't get there. So. Yeah. Also, also such a quick turnaround, right? I mean, you, you know, injured the week of the Big East tournament. Now you're coming back the next week, you're playing Gonzaga who, you know, just, it's just a rough yeah. matchup at a bad time. So. Yeah. And, and, and again, context and perspective, uh, and that's what you guys are about. It, it, it was an unbelievable year. We had so much fun. It was so great to give the school a facelift, walk around campus, and people be happy about that. And, and um, there are other great sports at St. John's. The volleyball program, women's volleyball program, is phenomenal. The baseball program on the was on the rise. And you know, it just, it, it was great to see everybody come together. And, and that, that was a lot of fun because at that time, St. John's needed a little pop. It definitely did. It definitely did. And you guys, you were part of the staff that, that definitely brought that. Yeah. So yeah. you did face a lot of adversity though. I mean, you had the DJ Kennedy interview and I mean, injury, and then coach Lav finds out he has cancer. So what was it like when you learned that he had cancer and then you were going to be stepping in as the head coach? Oh, I, I think the most important thing is, is that, that um, there's, there's the compassion part of it and the friendship with Coach Lavin and then what he's got to do. That's priority. And, and so you address that first. But as you're stepping into that chair, you don't want uh, the players to think there's anything that's going to be, quote unquote, different in terms of pace in terms of, 
you know, the study table, it just, you know, keep the system alive. And then also is pull in everybody's voice, whether it was Rico's voice, whether it was Tony's voice, um, you know, those guys were uh, very important. And also just be with the players. So you had to maybe more individual meals and things where, and you answered parent parental questions. So you just kind of moved out and strategized each day to see if you could find a, a routine and, and the players could get over the concussion of, of knowing that coach Lavin wasn't going to be around for that year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you also were there at a time when it was, it was mainly an all freshman team. So, yeah. you know, he, he, he was oh, brand yeah. new guys in a brand new place. And, and it was a, a really, you know, kind of tough turn for you. Yes. And you're leading your team. We had six guys on scholarship and we lost three studs mm-hmm. to the NC2A and, and whatever that was. But my point was that, that now you're looking at a tough schedule and you're looking at a great year. And then so and then you're looking at freshmen who needed guidance and leadership and to understand that we were going to get uh, some schools that were upset with us that wanted to get even from the year before. Right. Whether it was, whether it was Pitt or whether it was Villanova and and also is so I think a key element to that was uh, staying upbeat. And and when some losses came that were difficult, such as Rutgers, you know, we, we, we battled all game long and uh, Harkless was at the free throw line on a block off and missed an assignment. And they got a tip in to win the game and the place went nuts. And we were literally ahead almost the entire game. It's not about that loss. It's about how you respond and what, hey, here's what we learned. You're good to go and not play you know, the blame game on this, that, or the other thing, because a lot of guys missed free throws that led up to that loss. There were turnovers. And so just kind of trying to placate everybody in a way where they understood that, you know, we're going to use this as learning and you guys are going to be really a good, good team and put the seeds in the right way. And, and again, it was a staff effort. And I thought that Rico and Tony, uh, in particular, did a phenomenal job of just keeping the spirits up. And obviously, that was my main mission, was to make sure that these guys didn't get their head down. I mean, we go in to play Duke, and at halftime, it was a one-point disparity. Uh, I think Harkless had 36 points. At Cameron, we lose by four or six points, and it was a, it was a phenomenal game. You know, And they were all freshmen. And to do that at Cameron with that group who was going, we were hovering around the 500 mark at that time. And so to do that meant that the esprit de corps, the teaching and all that was in place. And also is that people knew that those young men were going to be really, really good. You certainly set them up on a good path. That team turned out to be very talented. And, uh, yeah, and they, and, they, and they got their just desserts down the road, yeah. even though Harkless went early and he, he pretty much had to uh, for family reasons and the money and all of those things. But Mo Harkless was very special, you know, Absolutely. as as was that 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 whole group. Phil Green was special. You know, you can go right through D'Angelo. Yeah. Uh, Dom was was as athletic as anybody in the Big East as a freshman. You could see, you know, he had a certain set of skills that was going to, you know, just needed to be nurtured. But Mm -hmm. that group was, you know, and and then obviously we had the lefty who ended up playing baseball. (laughs) Right. So uh, anyway. So what was it like coaching along with Coach Gene Cady? Uh, it just is wisdom and his humor. If you've been around him, he's just hilarious. And so his humor was needed and then he has a gentle hand. And so what was great about being around him was he was so understanding of our circumstances and he was good at peeling the kids off, uh, the young men, uh, one by one and, and doing some counseling when he saw somebody was down. And, uh, so, it's just a human whisper to have in your, in, in your group. And that's what it was like. And, 
he was he's just a special human being so do you still stay in contact with a lot of the staff from st john's or players from st john's um yeah i mean absolutely i see rico on the trails you know we're both in the nba and then tony Childs does a nice job of via twitter and dropping in and then d'angelo and i have that and sean evans is a was somebody that i stay in touch with and booth yeah absolutely we do uh instagram and so absolutely um and i pay attention to phil green phil green's had a couple back-to-back years that have been phenomenal and so you know i yes and um st john's was my 24 months there was really really special well, we were certainly glad to have you for sure, but you did get the opportunity to coach, you know, be the head coach in the NBA from there. What was that experience like? Every day was, was new. We weren't a talented group. We were really young and I was brought in basically to shepherd, whether it was Kimba, who was in his second year, Gerald Henderson, Bismack was a part of that group. And then you had some older heavy contracts at the end of the bench. So the dichotomy, <laughs> the dichotomy of that and not playing, you know, NBA players want to play. You always got to manage your bench, mm-hmm. but um, uh, the, the journey through that um, was learning, um, fascinating, uh, fascinating to be around someone like MJ. Um, it, it, it was fast and furious is what I would say. And, and um, learned a ton and it was a rich experience. Now, nah. You know, whether you're crossing the Mississippi to be at St. John's, you look at the resume, uh, there are certain coaches, when you look at a a student's transcript, you can kind of tell in certain conceptual ways what a a student athlete's going to be like. And when you learn how to read a transcript and when you when you look at a resume, um, you know, our resume was we weren't afraid to travel you know, and go places and, and high risk jobs that were tough jobs. St. John's a tough job. Yeah. Uh, Sh- Charlotte was a tough job. LMU tough job, you know, so I, you know, personally like to go in and see if you can get programs turned around. And so I think that's why I was picked is that they knew that we weren't going to win a lot of games, but they wanted those young guys to play and play a lot of minutes and then develop them. And I think that happened with Charlotte. Well, you, you did triple the wins from the season before. So yeah, you, I you mean, had a successful. Yes. Run. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, again, uh, in the NBA, you know, you're, you're, you're hired to be fired in most jobs. Most college guys are going to get what they call non-winning jobs that you have to kind of grind your way through. You're not going to get a, a San Antonio when you're sitting there as an assistant here, here, you can have this job and they won 55 the year before and everybody's intact. That's just a fact. And right. so my point is, is that it was, again, very special in that what I learned, you don't know till you leave, like the Big East, I learned a ton about style of play. Um, here are things that work in the Big East, here are things that don't. And I think every place you, you have a takeaway of all those, those things that you're willing to do. It's just, how many people are willing to move, actually move and mm-hmm. dive into those, those, those waters. I've been lucky because um, of the places that I've been invited to go to, you know, coach. It, it's been a privilege. So what would you say is the main difference between trying to balance the egos, I guess, of the NBA players and balance, I guess, teaching the college kids, you know, how much time they should play or, we're kind of balancing their egos as well. Yeah, it, I just think that you've got a receptive audience. There's uh, so many hats a young man has to wear in college. You know, from the gym, he's got to transition to the classroom. From the classroom, he's got to transition to where he's going to eat. Uh, then there's study table. Then there's weights. And so you look at all these boxes, and it's really diverse. And so you, there's an educational element to everything and a kind of a brave new world in college. In the pros, you're managing. You're not responsible for anything outside the building. You're just not. So the time that you have with them is very select. It's about 90 minutes to, say, three hours. 
a total where you'll see a person per day. Whereas in college, you know, you could be on top of each other in one form or another, eight to 12 hours in a given day. So one, you, one, you educate and another you manage. And then when you're talking about the egos, a lot of it is um, you say much less at the NBA level. You're efficient with your words. Um, you know, you want to point in the right direction. And then the confidence in the NBA is shattered much easier than in college. I find that the college player re rebounds from a tail kicking much easier than an NBA does. And, and you know, the guns are bigger in the NBA and the bear eats you or you eat the bear. I mean, it's, and then, you know, you can go in and, and feel like you're really humming and then you play uh, Miami and then you score nine points and you're averaging 26. Well, the guy will get on the plane that night and, and the head will be down sometimes. And so a lot of what you're doing is, is pumping him back up and giving him confidence and that's when you're gaining trust in, in the NBA. You've got longer to gain the trust of the, the college player. In the NBA, they just want to know if you're going to be there when the dark times come because they're coming, you know, in one form or another. So I think that that's the, the moments of vulnerability are fewer in the NBA, but you've got to be trustworthy to be good when they're down. So I mean, obviously you're back in the NBA now, but you did get the opportunity to go be the head coach of your alma mater. What was that experience like? Well, we were turning around a, a program that hadn't won in 25 years. Our fifth year, we won 22. So we were on our way. We had three starters off that 22-win team that went down and were out before the season preseason even started. Oh, so you could see the numbers were good, but uh, it's emotional because you played there and you want to help the program and places like LMU are, are without a lot of money. It looks mm -hmm. like they have a lot of money, but they don't for whatever reasons, political and otherwise they, they you know, they're, they're kind of approach it and, you know, a less than a Gonzaga or a St. Mary's or a BYU or even a university of San Diego, they don't quite, you know, uh, front up and put the money in and the resources. Uh, and then the ego of the boosters and stuff is more fragile because they'll just harken back 30 years to when Gathers and Kimball played. <laughs> and you, you go, folks, you need to wake up. Those days are gone. And uh, <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's kind of a reclamation project. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> would, you, would you think about going back to being a college head coach? Uh, I don't know that I, it would have to be a really, really good situation. You know, I would, uh, I would be uh, picky about it and not because I'm anything, but because of age and, and I'm with a great, great organization. I'm, you know, lucky enough to be with a great head coach and a coach bud and then be with a generational player in Giannis. So I wouldn't be <laughs> in a hurry, Understandable. Um, you know, over the next three to five years, um, we're going to be vying for that ring in one form or another with some luck again and again. And you don't want to run from that unless you have a situation that's a little bit more ideal than <laughs> Charlotte or, or <laughs> LMU. You don't want to run to, you know, an area where you, you don't want to, you don't have what the other guy has, you know? And, and so, I, you know, I've, I've done enough of those jobs. <laughs> right. Well, you've been with the Bucks since 2020. So obviously right. you're happy. You seem happy about it. You seem to have enjoyed yeah. your time there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, it, it's absolutely, you know, a blessing. One year you're, I was fired at LMU bottom line and, and the next year you're getting a ring. <laughs> you're, you're winning. I mean, there aren't, there, there aren't five guys on the earth that have that story. And someone says, well, how'd you do that? I said, well, you know, everybody's going to talk about, you know, preparation leads to luck. And I'm just saying, I went to Vegas and it was black and I, you know, <laughs> it was, it was, I don't know that one movie uh, where all the money is, is moved forward. Uh, I'm trying to think goodwill hunting, uh, my guy, 
Um, but, but anyway, it, you know, he just pushes all the money forward and, and, and he hits his number and, and wins all the money. And, but it, I feel like that the lottery was hit by being with the bucks. And so my point is I should be happy. I don't need much uh, to be happy. And I love being in the gym and, mm-hmm. and working with players and all of that stuff. So, um, and I'm kind of a, in an emeritus role on the staff. So a troubleshooter, what be it a player or maybe asked a question about uh, something defensively or offensively and then working out with players. It's, I have a great job. And then, <laughs> you know, and then again, really, we're with uh, really tremendous players in Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez. And these guys all finished their college degrees. And I, I say that not in a snooty way, but, you know, when you get somebody who's been uh, through the educational system for four years and stuff, it allows them to maturate in a different way, not a better way. I don't I want to be careful not to be too educationally snooty, but these guys are put together mentally and everybody in the NBA knows it, that, you know, they're not going to be uh, caught out uh, just, you know, doing crazy stuff. And right. so it's really nice. I was with Denver Nuggets for a couple of years. And I, it was it was a lot of fun, but man, it was unpredictable. We had a lot of firecrackers for players, whether it was Iverson or Kenyon and, and or J.R. Smith or Mello or whatever. Tremendous, you know, seasons when the, that we were there, but it was hard to predict because they were volatile personalities that you know, that they're different than, than I would say Drew Holiday or Giannis. You know, you can't find anybody more humble than Giannis for his prowess mm-hmm. and what he's about. And everybody knows that. He's a great interview, uh, but you're never going to get him to use the I word too much. Right. What, what is it like working with Giannis? I mean, he truly is a, a you know, once-in-a-generation player. Well, he's not done yet. That's the thing is, you know, players – can peak at a certain level and literally week by week, whether it's a game and you don't have a lot of practice time because you have four games that week or whatever, we see things where he's figuring out. And as you know, his shots getting better, his free throw improved dramatically this year. Um, But you can just see that a lot of things are coming into play here. He's got one more level uh, to go. And so what's phenomenal about him is how much he's improving. I mean, this is a, this is a human being that can take eight steps literally from one end of the court and be at 88 feet and be on top of the rim. If he hits half court, he can be three strides and he's on top of the cylinder. No one else in the NBA can do that. And so when you're with, yeah, his speed is phenomenal. He has a gear in him. Uh, that, you know, he's going along and his strides are obviously very, very long, like bolts, you know, that, that was a difference maker in the hundred meter dash. And you see him and his strides, well, his strides are much longer than say bolts. And then his hand size, it, it's a golf ball in his hand. So when he goes up, um, you know, just inside the free throw line, no problem. Heel on free throw line. We see it on film all the time and he's over the top of the rim. It's crazy. You know, it's a lot of fun and he's receptive. He looks at a lot of film. Um, he does uh, sports psychology. We have a beautiful uh, program there with the Bucks, and he's got his notebook every day with our sports psychologist. And, and I, I mean, he puts the work in. So it's fun to be around a guy who's that passionate because he knows he has an opportunity to put his mark on the game historically, and he doesn't take that lightly. That's, he, he truly is a fascinating player. So, I, I mean, it, it's some yeah. great insight right there. So, of yeah. all the places you've been, and, and you've been a lot of places, which would you say is your favorite? Well, uh, it sounds weird, but um, I was a Division three coach for five years at Cal Lutheran. And uh, because it was my first head coach, um, that was special. And then from there, we went to Adelaide. And being in the NBL and a third of the players were definitely older than I was. 
<laughs> and learning the international pro game and not knowing what you were doing at all. And we had good success uh, because we had good players. <laughs> but um, that was a blast. Living in Australia, winning games, big stadiums, people were passionate about the game. Uh, I, you know, that experience. And then Metro State, that was nine years of being nationally recognized as one of the top four programs in the country. We, it wasn't that when we started, but quickly we ascended and we were able to grab Australian players mixed with the U.S. players, and it turned out to be pretty phenomenal. But when you're winning it at a rate where most aren't uh, happy is not an issue. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, but I would say these last two years, being with the Bucks is one of the best jobs ever because of what we've talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say that the coming out of the garden after we beat Duke and we played at 11 o'clock and we, you know, my wife and I were going to get something to eat uh, at a Mexican restaurant on 18th. So we just needed a cab um, to go uh to this specific restaurant and the cabbies literally stopped. Everybody was honking their horn. And we had those white shoes that lab had us, you know, had us wear tennis shoes. That was a trademark. And so they recognized who we were and there were people in the streets coming up to us. And that was my favorite. That's, you know, one of my favorite moments, but when you, so that, and when you win a national championship, you know, at Metro state, we won a couple, we lost another and, got to the final four another time. But when you hoist that trophy and you know that you're the best in the land at what you do and there are 280 teams and that trophy gets above your head and you think of the millions and millions of dollars that was spent on trying to get that trophy in your hands and what it did for Metro State as far as an institution Literally, there were taverns across the street and they didn't know where the school was. And, we you know, they interviewed once we won the national championship and they said, hey, Metro State won the national championship. And at the time, the Nuggets were bad. And so we were this little story in Denver, Colorado. And, you know, they brought us to the legislature and, and did all of that stuff. Um, those are memories that are phenomenal and you don't take that stuff for granted, but then last year we're coming around a corner and there are 300,000 people in Milwaukee at the parade when we got wow. to the stage and, you know, the confetti's coming down and you're looking at your family on one of those European buses where you're at the top and there's this confetti, like it's a, you know, a, a deluge of, of rain in New York. I mean, you're, you're, just, you're caught in one of those storms. And I, I looked at my wife, Molly, and I said, how about this? You know, you, you know, you can't. So I would just kind of just give you a thumbnail sketch of the journey of the highlights. But those places were all pretty special. I just amazing stories, um, for sure. I mean, I remember the Duke game. We were there. Uh, that was incredible, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you've you've had an extremely interesting career. It sounds like, and extremely rewarding for sure. Yes. Now, uh, uh, I, you know, we, are the family, the Dunlap family, has been incredibly lucky. The game of basketball uh, has given us way more than we can give back to the game. And the one thing you're trying to do within the game is uh, make a difference in people's lives as far as the players go. I know it sounds a little all that, but, but really educationally college is an impactful place in the ages of 18 to 22, say 23, whatever that is, is that you, you really do have a chance to alter their course in a positive way. And the institution does, I mean, universities don't get enough credit for being bastions of where you can be wrong. You know, think about all the times that you had these discussions with your buddies about philosophically about this issue or that issue. And thank God there isn't a video still around on all the <laughs> things you said, you know, that you thought, were. Sure. you know, it's a great place to be wrong. I always say that about higher education because you can, really figure out who you are and what you believe by the time you're a senior, at least you have the seeds and then you put them into practice, uh, maybe in wall street or wherever you're going to work. And then you, you figure it out, but they give you the tenets 
of your beliefs. That's when I think that your beliefs really take shape is in college. And so, you know, to be a part of that your whole life is phenomenal because you're around young people. As you get older and people, you know, pass away, you don't want to be that person without a lot of young people in your life because they're the ones that kind of keep you going and keep you apprised of the trends. I wouldn't even know how to use the cell phone if it weren't for the players, you know, and they're the ones who, you know, they're on the cutting edge technology of everything. And so it's really important to keep young people in your life. And and when you're a coach, you have that in, in triplicate. Yeah, with the, uh, the team over in Milwaukee right now, you actually have uh, Bobby Porras, who is very close with the current St. John's head coach, uh, Mike Anderson. Uh, have you actually gotten be able to get in contact with uh, Anderson? Because I think he's gone to a couple of games. Uh, I haven't. Um, unfortunately, when we, we played against him when he was the head coach in Missouri. So I'm dating myself. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing right now, the man can coach and he gets his players to play out of their comfort level. Um, so I think highly of Coach Anders is my point. But oh, back to Bobby Portis. Um, he's my favorite player. And I probably shouldn't say that, but it's because of how hard he plays. And he, you know, he's a floor burn waiting to happen. Uh, he's a crowd pleaser. And it's because he captivates the, the audience because he's genuine and he plays so friggin' hard. And if that's a statement for Arkansas, like you pointed to and, 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 you know, his evolution, um, you know, credit to all those coaches that coached before we got him. Because he's he's got the it factor. He's legit. He's also you can see he's a really focused on the team. He most of the season almost averaging a double double, and then you guys started getting healthy at the end. And he was he took a, a little less minutes, but still came out there almost double double every time. Uh, great point by you. And quick story was last year we played Brooklyn, and the matchups were such that after the second game against Brooklyn, uh, we shut him down. For the Brooklyn series, we come back, and he didn't play at all. And then that night, we got in late that night. That morning was what we call an off day. And you can come in, and it's a body day. Get a massage, do the cold tub, cryo tank, all, and, and get stretched out and all this other stuff. Well, Bobby, from that point, to the next series against Atlanta was in every night for two hours for work. And then he did his work in the mornings, but he did not let up. And that's, I mean, to find that in your group and not be angry about that, you've pointed to something that is, which, which is, I think just the crowd picks up on the essence of who he is and you've, you know, adroitly pointed to it yourself. All right, we got one more, one last question for you. Uh, so did you always want to be a coach growing up or when did you know that you wanted to be a, a basketball coach? In uh, the third grade, I had a PE teacher and I was just, you know, in those days, you know, they, the, the PE teachers were like any other teacher curriculum wise and you had to go put your orange shorts on and a white t-shirt and you had your PF Flyers or your Chuck Taylors in your, in your locker room and he checks you in, he checks you out. His name was Mr. Page and I could run and jump and, and uh, wasn't the best it, by any stretch, but it was in the top tier. And, but competitively um, I, you know, was, you know, kind of a, a you know, a, a nail biter and I would go after people and, and, you know, was in the principal's office a fair amount and um, more than my parents would have liked. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but, um, anyway, Mr. Page came up to me and, and tapped me on the shoulder and he, he, he said, you should coach. And, you know, I, just, I it's like I just took that and ran with it. So I knew in the third grade and then in the sixth grade, I was OK academically. I was the kind of person that, that would be invisible in plain sight. I didn't want to ever raise my hand. I was an introvert, you know, kind of uh, hid. And, and, and the teacher called me out and, and she knew that I was on the basketball team in the sixth grade. She said, Dunlap, don't you be a coach. You, you're going to be an attorney. 
<laughs> and she said it she said it in front of the entire class and i was mortified <laughs> i remember it like it was yesterday her name was mrs boco and mrs boco clearly <laughs> oh, oh my god uh and i saw her years later several years back i went back to fairbanks alaska and i saw her in a a little restaurant happened to bump into her she was sitting with wow. her daughter and i went went up and and uh, I, I did not recapitulate that story, but I, <laughs> I, I, I thank her for being my sixth grade teacher. That's how ballsy I was. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I knew probably early, early on that I was going to be a coach. So and now we're done with 42 years, 42 years later. Wow. Um, it, it's been that that journey you know, out of a place of 30,000 in the northernmost reaches of the world uh, in <laughs> Fairbanks, Alaska. So who knew? Um, and it's been a blast. It's been an absolute blast. But I will tell you, the red storm is definitely in the garden. And, you know, what happened at St. John's is definitely within the five or six top memories without without question. And like I said, coming out of there, and the double doors and, and midday and having the cabbie stop and get out and start clapping and shaking your hand. And they were just fired up. It was something in slow motion. And I will tell you that the three of you are attached to something very special. Well, we certainly have fond memories of you and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. We do really appreciate it. We wish you the best next season. Thanks. Go red storm. And, I, and please say hello to coach Anderson for me. Take Absolutely. care, guys. Yeah, Thanks thank for having me. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. We want to thank Coach Dunlap for coming on the pod with us. It was uh, great to hear from him. He's I, got a heck of a career. I mean, really, just you know, from from the beginning, so many different stops, you know, so much success along the way, and, and really uh, his, his strategic basketball knowledge is just something, you know, exciting to hear. And, you know, obviously for, for basketball junkies, he's – He's a guy who who you can really you know learn something from. I think each time you, you talk to him about the game, I'd love to watch a game with him. Like yeah, yeah I think yeah, I like, think that, I, that would, would be awesome because he probably sees the game in a whole different way that none of us really. I mean, some of us do, but nobody here does. Right? Um, yeah. Right. So yeah. I think it would be that would be super interesting. He's a really it was a great talking to him. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy to think that at such a young age he knew coaching. Yeah, was the yeah. thing for him. Yeah, I mean, it, started it, came right from being a player. Yeah, he went. He was a D1 player at LMU, then goes to be an assistant coach right away. I think his first year they made the tournament. I think it got vacated for some reason. Then Sibley doesn't like people. And then right to D3, then D2, then Australia, then yeah. NBA. Yeah. I mean, and it all started college. And it all started with his gym teacher back when the elementary school. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Telling him. Teachers are important, man. Teachers, teachers are important. Teachers are important, and you know, and and you know, like you said, it's very rare you get somebody who knows what they're going to do from the be- from from such a young age, and he stuck with it, and he's made a heck of a career of it. So and I love that he's still super happy and proud of his time at St. John's, which is just great to yeah. see too. Yeah. So he great really loved it here, and also, tell. and you can tell he he's not jaded, right? Like after forty two years, there's a lot of guys, you know, who. You'd be run down by basketball, or, or be you know seem tired of it, and, and you can tell just from talking to him that that's not the case. He loves basketball. He loves yeah. his time. Yeah, I feel like around he, basketball still, I, even after all these years. I feel like he used basketball to like facilitate teaching in a sense because like everything he was good saying point. the whole time, it just felt like he was more so teaching his players how to be you know good guys, and he really honestly seemed like he cared about that. Yeah, like when talking to talking to him. And I mean, that's always amazing to see. That's probably why he was on so many successful teams. Right. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, we thank him again for coming on. Now we got, you know, little St. John's talk, little summer St. John's talk. Talk about uh, some new guys, some new faces and, uh, you know, start of, of kids arriving during the summer sessions. So it's been an exciting off season, guys, I think. Yeah. For St. John's Definitely so renewed far. a little hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, not that it would look, not that it would looked upsetting, but... You know, you lose Julian, right? He yep. goes to the NBA. You know, there's always that question mark when you when you lose a guy like Julian. Where does the team go? Obviously, you know, projected to finish fourth, didn't didn't reach that goal, didn't go as far as this team could have gone, 
had all the pieces come together and meshed for, for a longer part of the season. But bringing in some talent to fill the holes, I think I think that this team has. And it, it starts with bringing in David Jones. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to replace a guy like Julian. Um, just, 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 you know, you can't really do that. But you have to move on when he leaves, and you have to fill that, that production slot. Uh, David Jones, uh, who was a guy from DePaul last year, uh, which is going to intensify that rivalry uh, massively, I would imagine. Uh, but last year he scored 14 and a half uh, and about seven rebounds in the Big East. So we know there's no problems there because he can do it. He did it against us. Um, but so, you know, that that's not a concern, which is great. Uh, sometimes we get transfers, you don't know how they're going to adjust to new league. He's not adjusting. He's been in the league. So that that's a, a huge advantage for us. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I don't know that really anybody had as good a transfer portal as we did, um, uh, bringing no. in him. Um, we've also brought in Andre Corbello from Illinois, which was, is a huge, huge, pickup. huge get. And I, I think maybe even more importantly is we haven't had anybody leave. That's a great point. One of the only schools in D1 to not have anybody transfer out. Right. I mean, Aaron Wheeler did go pro too. We didn't mention him. Right, right. But, but you're right. No, no one transferred towards that. But no, 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 no one has transferred I mean, to the, another the man's team. Got, the man's got two degrees. Oh no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't blame Aaron Wheeler. It's time to, to, to be fair to Aaron Wheeler, yeah. he, I mean, listen, he played great for us down the stretch, and you know, like Tim said, he he'd been in college just for so long. Just the way it played out for him, uh, I think he made the right decision for himself. Yeah. Uh, and you know, wish him the best as well, just like we wish Julian the best, but. It is in in today's era to not have anybody transfer. I think it speaks volumes towards Mike Anderson. Well, especially after coming. I'm sorry to cut in, but especially after last season where we only had three returning players. Right, but right, uh, that's very true. But I, I think you know uh, there's been a lot of questions about Mike Anderson. Right, a lot of people say, "Oh, he's he's done. We should get rid of him." Blah blah blah. In this era, to have no one transfer out, I think it shows. Listen. Kids want to play for this guy. There's a reason these players who have been here for a year are going to stick around. Even guys who maybe thought they should get more minutes, even guys who think we're bringing in new guys who are going to take away minutes, I'm going to stick it out because I trust in Mike Anderson. I think that says a lot about him as a coach, and and it I hope, think and hope it, it's really putting us in the right direction with him at the helm. And these guys are also recruiting for us. Soriano helped bring in Jones. Yep. And then Corbello is assisted with uh Pinzone. Right. Right. Because Corbello was is he's from New York or no? Uh Corbello is I believe from Puerto Rico. From Puerto Rico. Okay. But he played at L U H I with uh Drissa That's and That's what I was thinking. Uh Pinzone. Right. And he's he's I mean he's a dynamic player. Um, oh, yeah. and him him and Posh in the backcourt is gonna be a problem for for the biggies <laughs> point guards better get on notice and start practicing their dribble now because uh, just those two in oh. the backcourt are going to be insane. Having Posh, Corbello, and Jones, all with their ability to play defenses. Yeah, I mean, defensively, we're going to be nasty. Chaos. That's a good point. We didn't even talk about David Jones was fourth last year in the Big East in steals behind Julian and Posh and and, and Javon Freeman Liberty, who's no longer in the league. So, all you know, we we David Jones is not Julian Champagne. We're not going to make those comparisons, but. He's a good fit. He's a good fit. I mean, he's a good fit. He plays our style, and, and it's great to have him. Um, and, and and I think Andre Corbello could really flourish in the system. Illinois, I don't know the system worked well for him. And it, it was feed to Kofi, so it's it's not as it's, fluid. It's, it's hard being on a team with with a player like Kofi Cockburn. I mean, he, he's so talented, right? And understandably so, just feed him the ball and see what happens was and, kind of their strategy. And they had a super talented wing, which... yeah. He want he needed time with the ball in his, his hands, so I mean, it, and he, he had a concussion. Well, yeah, you smell that? You know what that is? That's the Kool Aid. That's what that smell is. Kool Aid smell. Kool Aid. Because I can tell you, I can tell you that that Kool Aid is that red Kool Aid. Kool Aid. That red St. John's Kool Aid going down <laughs> nice and smooth right now. Is this our year? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Get ready. But not not even just looking. It's at It's June our... and we're still sniffing. <laughs> not even just Man. looking at our transfers. Tastes good. But, we just needed a. <laughs> We just needed a couple months off. That's right. That's it. You know, so we want to re-energize ourselves, we, re-get Kool-Aid, you know? That's we, why we need the hype. Get a little thirst. That's yeah. why, you know, you, you go in a dark place after the after the end of the season, now you come back. We also, AJ Store, you mentioned as well, 
I'm excited for him. I think he he was I think he's underrated in terms of where he was rated as a recruit because uh, some of the videos I've seen he look he looks great. The pipeline keeps building up, and if you know kids like to play here and they like the style, and and they keep bringing more friends in, and and you know that's how that's how the magic happens. Well, what's good about the upcoming season is we get to see a little preview of them earlier than the start of the season because we are doing a uh, summer exhibition series to the Dominican Republic. Oh, that's right, in August. Nice. So we're gonna get to see these guys play a little bit before the season. That's a, as, a, a little St. John's a, basketball in the summer, and, mm. and it ends up being a good year for us to get that, you know, because uh, we did. You know, we've got some new players now, and we're going to have to try to work them into the system, and this is going to be a good opportunity, I think, to get those guys some fresh experience in, in you know, Mike Anderson's system with our guys, and hopefully it sets us up well come November. Also being cooped up for the past two-plus years. Yeah. It, it's good to get the guys out. Absolutely. Let them have some fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Because the last trip was, what, Italy? Yeah, it was Italy. It was, <clears throat> yeah. it was Italy before. You're, um, you're only allowed to take a trip every th- Four years. Every four years, and we were supposed to do it going into my senior year, but Coach Mullen and Coach Mitch both got hip surgery that summer, so they decided not to do it. Hips don't that's, lie. That's rough. Sorry, Nick. Sorry, Nick. No trip for you, my friend. It's no trip for you, Sorry. but yeah, it's every four years, so that's why we're allowed to do it. You know, we can go this year, but now we won't be able to go for another three. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. We thank Coach Dunlap for coming on again. We'll see you next time. Go Johnnies. Keep chasing.